Okay, hey, we're headed today, the book of Revelation. Our first verse is going to be 1 Thessalonians 4. It'll be a little while before I get to it, but I mean, quick question. How many early voted last week? Let me see your hand here. Let me just applaud you. I am proud of you. I got my little early voting sticker here. I want to encourage every one of us, every Christian to vote on Tuesday. It's bigger than a president. How many know it's the way we have our voice in our culture and our society? I am a part of two kingdoms. I'm a part of the ultimate kingdom of God first and foremost. But I'm also a citizen of the United States of America. And it's my prayer that you will educate yourself and you will vote biblical values. Uh, we have some information in the lobby. It's nonpartisan. Little booklets for the Arkansas side. Uh, the Texas side's pretty cool. It's got, you just put your phone and take a picture of it, and it pops up this website. I used it this week. It helped me on state offices, and I hope that you'll vote this Tuesday. Tell your neighbor, I will. The Lord's listening. Let me read something I read this week in one of my news sites. It says, really crazy things are starting to happen all over the world. Giant swarms of locusts are absolutely devastating entire regions. Extremely unusual storms are confounding meteorologists. Earthquake and volcanic activity are both on the rise. Five very dangerous diseases are sweeping across the globe. Think coronavirus. So far, in 2020, it's just been one thing after another, and many are speculating about what could be ahead if events continue to escalate. Well, listen, how many know the Bible speaks a lot about the last days? It speaks about the days in which we live. And one of the characteristics of the book of Revelation is it talks a lot about calamity. And I don't presume to be able to tell you where we are in the last of the last days. But how many know it's not a bad thing to be aware and look at the signs of the times? I'm doing this series. It's called The End Times. We started out looking what Jesus said in the Gospels about the end times. The last two weeks, we've been on the book of Revelation. If you were here last week, you remember we talked about seven literal churches in Asia Minor, applicable to all ages. Each church, if you recall, that Jesus would give a commendation, what they were doing good. He would rebuke what they were needing improvement on. And lastly, he would give a great promise. Well, that was our focus last week. Today, something different. We're going to talk about three big upcoming world events. I'm going to talk about the rapture of the church. I'm going to talk about the Great Tribulation and worldwide judgment. I'm going to talk about someone that's called the Antichrist. But I'm going to begin with, and this is a different kind of message. Normally my messages are from the get-go applicable and relevant to our everyday lives. This is going to be more of a declarative informing message. What the Bible says about the future certainly will gain uh, attitudes of how to respond but uh, uh, I'm going to close with uh, some hope because you may feel that, man, this is pretty heavy here. It's pretty, it, it, it is. It's going to be pretty somber when I tell you what the Antichrist will do on the earth one day. Yet we're going to end with hope knowing that our God is in control. How many know God knows everything that's going on and there's a predetermined plan not only for our individual lives but for the world as a whole. Give him a big hand today. He is worthy, worthy of our praise. I want to begin with kind of a foundation, and it's a little bit academic, so stay with me on it, but it's about different interpretations of the end times. Uh, it's called eschatology. Eschatology is a biblical doctrine dealing with the last days on earth. If you read your New Testament, you will see that Paul and Peter, all of them, they believed that the soon coming of Christ was very near. 
Believers in every age have lived that way, and I want to suggest to you that's a very good thing. It's a very good thing living with the awareness that Christ could come today. Christ could come tomorrow. The rapture of the church could happen. It causes me to be, to be ready. Uh, but uh, theories of interpreting re Revelation are, are broad. And I, and, I, and I want to share this with you because if you were to go to a Christian bookstore and just pick up ten books on Revelation, you'd probably find six or seven or maybe even ten different interpretations of the book. It has so many symbols in it, 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 it has, uh, and, and it's often a bit confusing. And I want to kind of uh, maybe lay a foundation for the different ways it's interpreted. Uh, I'm going to give you five. They're very short and brief. But the first is called pre-terrorist or contemporary historical. It simply means some believe the book of Revelation deals with events that were happening at the end of the first century. In other words, when John was writing, that that's the bulk of what the book is about. Uh, the second uh, model is what's called continuous historical. It begins, Revelation begins for them in the days of Rome, those literal churches, but it goes through the end of history. Kind of makes a lot of sense to me because clearly some things have not yet happened. Um, the, most, uh, the one called the futurist, uh, it simply believes that Revelation is prophecies about the final days of the earth, what's happening in history. Uh, the fourth one, if you are an evangelical like I am, I'm an evangelical, I'm a conservative Christian, I'm a charismatic, I'm a neo-Pentecostal, call me whatever you want to, but somewhere in that vein, I'm just somebody who loves Jesus and believes the Bible. But in that genre, I, I, the most popular interpretation is called dispensational. It focuses on the church and the nation of Israel. It sees the seven churches in Revelation as church ages, not just seven individual churches. But the rapture that I'll describe to you, it happens in the fourth chapter, first verse, before the bad stuff starts. So how many can say, I sure hope that's true. But for 250 million Christians across the world today, persecution is horrible. Today as we speak, people in Nigeria, Christians are afraid. Someone might come in, Muslims may come in and burn their church down. Some are afraid that in the middle of the night someone could come in, rape a pastor's wife, steal his children, and put a gun to his head and says, if you don't renounce Christ, you'll die. I mean, no, it doesn't get any worse than that. So this is happening in the world. Uh, this dispensational interpretation believes that the rapture happens. Then the Jews, or the prominent group of people, they go through the great tribulation before the return of Christ. And lastly, many believe in what's called a spiritual or symbolic interpretation. There's no, no specific events or people, but it's just general principles to guide us uh, in every area of history. Now, for a chronology, before I get into the big events... Usually when you read a book, it starts, for example, if you're going to read a biography, typically it would start with your birth, and it would go through the end of your life. And it would spend more time on the most important parts. But uh, a chronology in Revelation is a little more harder to get your, 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 your hands around. I, I found uh, in the, what's called the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, it's my high, most highly recommended study Bible, uh, Jack Hayford was the editor, very scholarly, very well done. In this study Bible, he gives charts. And if you would ever go on a conference on Revelation, it would be filled with charts where people are trying to predict the chronology of events. Well, let me just kind of give you this as, again as a little background. Uh, the first several are, sim are similar. The first one is called the premillennial pre-tribulation. 
So it's talking about the rapture, that the rapture happens before the thousand-year reign of Christ and before the, uh, 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 tr the great tribulation. Christians are out of here. Then there's an interpretation that the rapture is in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years. Then there's one that the rapture is at the end of the tribulation. It keeps going. Here's another one. There's a premillennial, pre-tribulation, partial rapture. Which means the rapture happens for the Christians that are really serious for God. You're going to get raptured out early. But for the rest of us, or you guys, I mean, for the rest of you guys, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Because, I mean, no, not every Christian lives on fire for God. Everybody who genuinely believes in Christ, and that's a theory, and they all, all of these have scripture verses to, quote, back them up. Uh, there's a premillennial, pre-wrath rapture, you know, that before the wrath of God. There's, there's a number more. Even Augustine uh, had a, a, a millennial view. But these are all out there. But what I want you to understand as we get practical now, John's visions are not chronological. In the book of Revelation, Jesus was born in chapter 12, but he was exalted in chapter 5, and he walked among the churches in chapters uh, 1 and 2. Uh, some visions in Revelation talk about the same event from a different perspective. For example, in the book of Revelation, there are seven seals where judgment comes when the seals are open. There are seven trumpet judgments. Uh, so the same thing, just looked at differently. Visions have signs and symbols that are describing events that are not always clear. For example, it talks about uh, locusts coming out of the abyss. Well, it's a picture. Those locusts are demons. So this is why it's, it's oftentimes confusing. But having said all that, regardless of some of these interpretation differences, Revelation predicts future events. There are some things in the book of Revelation about the coming of the Antichrist, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, a new heaven and a new earth that has clearly not yet happened, but will happen one day. And the Bible says it is a blessing for those that read it and those obey it. And you'll find encouragement as you watch this. Listen, God's plan literally is unfolding across the world. What's going to happen in Revelation is not an accident. It's not going to happen in response to a crisis. It's going to happen because the sovereign God who's in control, come on, is bringing this thing to a conclusion where those that are against God are going to be fighting against him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is just going to go, get out of here, it's over. And we're spending the rest of eternity in a real place called heaven. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Okay, let's begin with Bible now. Uh, uh, let's talk about this first big event, the rapture of the church. Uh, I go to 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the most specific scripture that suggests this. It says, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Now think of Christians, you and I walking on the earth versus Christians that are in the cemetery or wherever they may be, but they've died. Now, the Bible teaches this about death. We are spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit. We have a soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a physical body. And it's our body that deteriorates and dies. Our spirit is eternal. At the moment of death, the Bible says for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord Jesus, but your body's still on earth. Okay. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, this is Jesus, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is a literal, physical body resurrection. 
those in the cemeteries, those in the, uh, the Arizona, buried in, the, 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 uh, in Hawaii, in the waters, people that have been disintegrated. Somehow God is going to bring their bodies back to resurrection. But look at verse 17. This is where, the, where, where this doctrine emerges. Then we who are alive, and instantaneously after the dead being raised, we will be caught up, and that's the key verb I'm going to talk about, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, it doesn't say Jesus is coming to the earth. It says we're meeting the Lord in the air. And this is a great distinction, but let me focus on this word first, caught up. It's the Greek word harpazio. It's the same word found in Acts 8.39. You remember Philip, the evangelist? He's preaching, and uh, he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, and then the Bible says he was caught up. He was transported. Uh, if you're an old Star Trek fan, anybody old Star Trek fans? Yeah, I watch the old movies sometimes. Well, you know when they would say, beam me up, Scotty? And he literally would transport. Well, that's what happened to Philip, and he wound up at another place. It's the same word. And then if you recall Paul, you remember when Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven? Same word. And all that is very different than what we see at the second coming of Christ when he comes to establish his earthly kingdom. So this is why the rapture, is uh, 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 viewed as separate from the second coming. In Latin, this same word caught up is rapturo. Latin, of course, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. Latin was one of the first languages it was translated into. But uh, it, it, it means uh, the catching up of God's people, uh, meeting the Lord in the air, but it is different than you see when the second coming unfolds throughout the rest of the Bible. And that's why uh, Christians believe and hope that the rapture is true. The only question is, is it a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, or a post-tribulation rapture? I don't know about you, but I'm hoping for trib. Huh? Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. All right. So that's something that's going to happen. In Corinthians, it says, in the moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye is the way it's going to happen. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 8. That was a good part. This is going to get a bit somber. But I want to speak about judgment and great tribulation upon a world that rejects God. The book of Revelation is a bloody book. It is a book filled with plagues. It is a book filled with death. It is a book filled with heartache upon the human race. But the reason you'll find, and I'm going to read a verse at the end of this passage that will shock you about the people's response. God is not a mean ogre sitting in heaven getting ready to swat people. But since the beginning of time, here's what God warned Adam and Eve. And if they'd have just listened, we'd have never had this problem. God said, the day you eat the fruit of the forbidden tree is the day you'll die. Death will come into the world. Heartache will come into the world. Hardship will come into the world. And for that sin, there is judgment. It is an inescapable principle that sin brings judgment. That's why we want the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. We want to repent from our sins. But listen to what happens to people who don't repent. And this is called the trumpet judgments, and angels are blowing trumpets to announce the judgment. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. Now, we have wildfires in California, they're bad. Wildfires in Australia, they were horrible, but it's nothing like this. 
The second angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sea became blood. Now, I don't believe it was O negative blood, but it's symbolizing death. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. Whales, fish, plankton. A third of the ships that were destroyed. When this happens, people will be on a cruise ship in the Caribbean. They'll be just partying and they'll be going from island to island. And this will come and there'll be death. There'll be death for oil tankers making their way across the Middle East. The fifth angel blows his trumpet. Locusts came on the earth. I, I don't believe these were literal buggy buggies. These are demons. Notice what it says. Locusts on the earth. They were given the power like a scorpion. Anyone ever been bitten by a scorpion? Ooh, I have. One time I was picking up some wood in South Texas. It bit me, and before I got back to the house, I told Linnell where I wanted to be buried. I mean, it was, it hurt. It's like one of those big red wasps. But, but I lived. But listen to this. Verse 4 says, the people that don't have the seal of God on their foreheads are the one that's going to be attacked. There's a picture in the book of Revelation of God protecting his people. Two things happen simultaneously. There's judgment on the earth. Many people will be martyred, but many people are living in this cocoon of God's grace and God's protection. Um, verse 5, they were allowed these demons to torment them for five months. And verse 6 is tragic. People will long to die, but death will flee from them. I do not understand how that works with assisted suicide and medications and so many ways people take their lives. I've at one time in the darkest depth of my battle with anxiety, I thought about dying. I never thought about picking up a gun or a pill or a way to do it, but I thought, man, it would sure be better to go to heaven than live in this. People will have that helpless feeling, but they won't be able to die. Now, listen to this, and, and this is what shocks me. Uh, a sixth angel blew his trumpet. Four angels released to kill a, a third of mankind. If there's what? Now, six, seven, eight billion people on the planet, that's two to three billion people are killed. I mean, it's, it's a, a life on this earth is nothing but chaos and chaotic. Now, verse 20 was the verse I, I warned you about. The rest of mankind, say it with me, did not repent. Of the works of their hands. In other words, they shook their fist at God. They even became bold and waved their middle finger at God and said, I don't need you. And this is what happens. They wouldn't repent from their worshiping demons. They're worshiping idols. They wouldn't repent of their murder, of their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And judgment befell them. God has never been out to harm and judge people. It is people's defiance against God who, who reject His word and truth and justice and love and pursue evil that one day will be judged. It is undeniable. Jesus predicted the great uh, tribulation, if you remember, in Matthew 24. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. Now what does that mean? The holy place is the Jewish temple. The abomination of desolation is an act that is so vile, done in God's temple, 
Sacrificing a pig on the altar was something that was done prior to the birth of Christ. It defiled the altar. But notice what it says. If you're in Judea in that time, flee to the mountains, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world and no now and no and now no nor ever will be. Jesus spoke of this great tribulation, but he talked about the Antichrist. This man who will bring this abomination of desolation. And history does not record that that has happened. The Jewish temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. But the emperor Titus who was there, the Roman general, he didn't desecrate the altar in that same way. He actually wanted to preserve the temple site, but his soldiers burned it down. Well, that's what's coming in the world, judgment and tribulation. But can I tell you this? Aren't you glad that any judgment a Christian faces, listen, may be disciplinary in this life, but it's to get us on track. And we can have a confidence that anytime tribulation comes in our life, that the Lord Jesus will always be with us. That we never face tribulation alone. We never face difficulties alone. But our God is with us. But listen, it is, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I'm telling you, the God that loved us so much that sent his son to down the cross for us is the same God that will one day judge the earth. I don't want to hear it, but it's true. Let me give you the third big event, and this is the most interesting because you can see it unfolding. It's about the Antichrist, a one-world leader for a one-world government. Let's look at Revelation 13. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. This beast is the Antichrist. The sea is not water. It is, it is the, 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 the people of the world. There is this one world leader that's arising. Verse 2, the dragon, Satan, gave this beast his power, his throne, and authority. This will be a one world leader over a political system in the world, the entire world. Uh, I must be honest with you. I don't understand how any Christian could hope for a one world government. How any Christian could hope for a one-world religion. I don't understand politicians who want open borders in America and in Europe and everywhere else so we can just be one happy family. Let's all be like the European Union, but let's be the whole world. Friends, you're setting yourself up for the Antichrist. He will have a one world. Let me read a little bit more about this Antichrist creature. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians, we get some details it says, the day of Christ's second coming will not come until the rebellion occurs. This is of people against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now this is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. And what he'll do, he'll oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called God or worshipped. He will place himself over the prophet Muhammad. He will place himself over Confucius. He will place himself over any new age leader. He will place himself over Jesus Christ. He is the counterfeit Christ. Anti-Christ. He is against Christ. Notice what it says. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called God or worship. He sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. This is why the belief is that there will be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. That, and that temple, the sacrificial system will occur. And somewhere in the middle of that process, that's where the Antichrist will desecrate the altar. That's where the Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God. Now let's go back to what he's going to do in the earth. Verse 3. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. The whole world. 
What was not possible in the Roman era because there was not worldwide communication is possible today. Instantaneous communication. I'm in my, I'm in my, my house cleaning up whatever I'm doing. And my daughter who's in South Africa calls me on the phone and we have conversation about what she's doing. And she and her mother are talking about everything under the sun just like she was right next door. It is possible today to link the world together. The world is marveling. Notice what it says. They worship the dragon or Satan. This doesn't mean they're satanic. It doesn't mean that they sacrifice children. But it means they have bought into the satanic godless system of the world. And they offer him the equivalent of worship. Satan gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast. Saying who is like the beast? Who can fight against us? In other words, the Second Amendment won't protect you. The militia won't protect you. The United States Air Force won't be able to protect you. Somehow, no force on earth can come against him. Another reason why, listen, you cannot have a one-world government if you, have a, if, if you don't have a sovereign America. If America ever loses, America will have to lose her freedom. We will have to cease to be the only voice of freedom and democracy in the world. Before the Antichrist can come. I don't know how he'll come. In my mind, I would suggest it would probably come from, from some financial collapse. Or some worldwide crisis that demands a one world leader. And we submit ourselves to that. But however he comes, he's coming. Uh, notice, he's given a mouth. He utters hearty and blasphemous words. There's a lot of blasphemy coming out of the mouths of Hollywood today. And across Facebook against Christian people. It's happening but it's going to grow. Now look at verse 7. I don't understand this and I don't like it. But this beast was allowed by God to make war on the saints and to... There have been Christian martyrs and people that have died for the cause of Christ since the beginning. I cannot explain to you why. I would only hope that you and I are so grounded in our faith in Christ... That our roots are deep. That if we ever had to go through that deep dark valley. We'd take one breath last one on earth. And the pain would be over. And we'd be in the presence of the Lord forever and evermore. Yeah. yeah. Um, notice all authority was given to it over every tribe. I'm sorry. It was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And then he says this. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And here's this stark phrase. He said, if anyone is taken into captivity, to captivity he will go. In other words, well, and he says, if anyone is going to be slain with the sword, with the sword he'll be slain. There'll be a day when some people who have professed faith in Christ will be go into prison and will be martyred. And if that's happening, you can't pray yourself out of it. If that happened, you don't want to be in your prison cell saying, Oh God, get me out of this cell because I just bought my bass boat and I want to go to, you know, I want to go to a real lake. I'm tired of Lake Patman. You understand? The, everything is different and everything has changed. At that moment, 
We are praying things like, Lord, give me the grace and strength to face tomorrow, whatever it brings. Holy Spirit, you delivered Daniel from the lion's den, and I'd love to be delivered, but you also delivered Stephen through being stoned, and he looked up to heaven and saw the face of his God. Whichever way you choose, I'm ready to do your will, and I'm ready to go to heaven and see you, because earth is not my home. Heaven is my eternal home. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. It's like you tie a knot in the end of your spiritual rope and you hold on. Look at verse 11. I saw another beast coming out of the sea. This is what some refer to as the unholy trinity. The Antichrist, Satan himself, and now this second beast. He causes those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. This is perhaps a religious leader. Because the first thing he does is he's causing worship to come to the beast. That's why many believe that you're going to have a political leader and a religious world leader. There'll be a one world religion. That's why you have to be careful of ecumenical movements. I'm all for getting along with other people in other churches. But if you throw the Bible away and you throw Jesus away, I don't have anything in common with you. I was better than you were amening on that one. It causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. And nowhere can buy or sell unless he has the mark. It is the name of the beast and number of its name. It calls for wisdom. Understand and calculate his number. It's the number of a man. His number is 666. The number of perfection for Christ is 777. I don't know if it's a literal mark, but I can tell you this today. Technology is well available in the world, being used by multiplied millions of people to put a chip in your hand to do things like scan it instead of your debit card, to open your door in your office, to give you access to your company or your plant. The technology is there. I don't know if this is what will happen or how it will be used, but somehow it is a system. It is, a, it is a deceptive system. It is a seductive anti-Christian system that demands obedience. And this is the thing. It demands obedience. And if you don't obey, they will take your life. They will cut you off. Do you feel that same spirit at work today? Demanding obedience, for example, uh, parents across America, thankfully not in Texarkana, USA, but across America have no say in the child's sex education programs taught at their school. They have no say when a transsexual drag queen comes in for storybook hour because they want to condition the children to love all people. And if you don't like it, just shut your mouth, Christian. This is the world that we live in today, and this is what will happen under the Antichrist. Three big events for today. Next week it's going to be good. Next week, and I'm done for today with this, but next week we're going to talk about the great white throne judgment, and then it's going to get really good. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about a new earth. We're going to talk about our life for eternity, and we're going to talk about the rewards of God. But today I want to close on a note of hope because I realize this has been, this has been a strong message. But all we've done is read Bible verses, and I hadn't given you any opinion I've just simply read God's word to you in a straightforward reading to hopefully wake us up to the way that we're living, that we live sober Christian lives. But let me encourage you with a couple things. I just call them certainties. And here's the first certainty. 
Our God is in control. Now, I may not like what's going on, but this is the central message of Revelation. It is Revelation 19.6. It says, say it with me. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Come on, say it again. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Listen, God is sovereign of the universe and history, and in the end, we win. We may not be able to change or alter the events, but we know where we're going, and when we get to the other side, come on, we're winners in Jesus Christ, and this is for all eternity. Let me give you another one. Uh, Satan, evil, and suffering will soon be gone. Satan has afflicted the earth with all the evil that you see, all the pain and heartache in your life from the beginning of the book of Genesis all the way through the end of the book of Revelation. And you would think someone that had multi-thousand years of destruction would get a little more of an epitaph than one verse. But all Satan gets is one verse. Revelation 20 verse 10, it says the devil who deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. He joined the beast and false prophet and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. It's, it, it, it's like, there's a book I read many years ago. It was by a man named Fromke and he talked about the eternal purpose of time in the world. It is that God has called out a people from the earth that would serve him not as robots created with no free will, but people who have tasted evil and tasted the good and now are not following God the robot because they have to. They're following God because they want to and they've chosen to love him and it is a mature love that they've experienced. And it had to be Adam and Eve's choice and the consequences of evil for that to happen and to produce that kind of person. But I want to tell you, friend, when the devil is done, he doesn't get any plans, he doesn't get any presents. He didn't get any tracks. He didn't get any trophies. He didn't get anything. He didn't even get a chocolate milkshake to taste with him. He's just gone. Let me give you what I think is arguably the most important certainty. Jesus Christ said himself that no matter what we face, no matter what the future holds, he's with us. Now I want you to let this settle. Let's read the words of Jesus and let's, let's read them together. It says this, and be sure of this, this is Jesus speaking, I am all with you always, even to the end of the age. So whatever the future holds, we're not alone. Now look, I'm like you. I would love to see Daniel in the lion's den. That's the, what I'd like to see happen when trouble comes. But you know what? In Revelation, maybe there's going to be a special blessing of the Holy Spirit that comes to people who suffer. You remember Stephen, uh, he gave his marvelous preaching in the book of Acts. They rejected God, and they're going to take him out of the city and stone him. Peter's on his knees, and people are throwing rocks. And he looked up to heaven. Come on, he didn't look at the rocks. He looked to heaven and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And they threw their rocks harder. And Stephen said, God, have mercy on them. Don't hold this sin against them. Listen, friends. That's the Jesus, and who knows when we face trouble if Jesus won't be with us in the same way. Let me close with this. Enduring hardship and faithfully serving the Lord will be worth it in eternity. Let me read you the challenge we read from the churches last week in Revelation 3-5, where Jesus promised everyone who was victorious, who were overcomers, who conquerors, will be clothed in white. 
the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus himself said, I will never erase your name from the book of life. But I will announce you before my Father and his angels because they are mine. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy. Come on, give him a big hand today. The King of kings and Lord of lords is worthy. He's bigger than the coronavirus. Come on now. He's bigger than an earthquake. He's bigger than a hurricane. He's bigger than a tornado. He's bigger than the tragedies that befall the earth. He's greater than whoever is going to be the president of the United States. He's greater than the United Nations. He's greater than the nations of the world. He's greater than Chinese nuclear weapons. He's greater than sickness and disease. He's the one who holds the keys of hell and death in his hands. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And to him every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I don't have to ask you to stand to your feet. You're giving praise to your king. Well, I told the first service, I hope I scared the hell out of you, and that was my intent today. <laughs> Next week, we'll talk about it a little bit more. Thank God. Can we just do that? Thank God. Lord, we just want to offer you praise today. We want to do what Christians have been doing for thousands of years, worshiping you. Not just because I've got a steak in the refrigerator or not just because I have an air conditioner in my car, but because I know God. My sins have been forgiven. I've faced my dark ugliness. I've faced my own imperfection and I've found the love of God. I've looked ahead in some oblique way at my own death. And though I don't want it to happen, I know there's one that will walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death so I can fear no evil. Lord, my prayer today is that we can simply live godly and holy lives, that we will serve you every day of our life until you call us home. My prayer is that we will have courage to endure difficulty, faith to stand strong, and that, Lord, we will lead as many people to Christ as we can before it's eternally too late. We are on this earth with a mission. And that mission is to bring the gospel to the entire world. Let us be more than Sunday churchgoers. Let us be men and women on a mission for God. And one day we'll hear our Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to close this way. We're going to have one last song. I always ask our prayer team to come forwards. If you want prayer for anything, we'll pray for you. But the most important question I want to ask today is this. If you were to die today, or if Jesus Christ were to come back to earth today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? If you are, I want you to raise your hand. 100% sure, Pastor. Well, let me tell you what this certainty is based on. It's based on the Bible it's based on the promise of Jesus Christ to those that believe and follow Him would have eternal life. I cannot do enough good things to get to heaven. I can do enough good works. But that cross is the great reminder that my sin put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin, not His, that brought me there. 
And the way to receive the gift of eternal life is on one hand the simplest thing that a person could ever do that costs nothing. But on the other hand, it costs you everything. I simply have to believe and follow Christ. The believing is easy. The following is hard. I was raised in church. Grateful mom made me go. And I always believed the Bible and believed about Jesus. But I lived this way. By and large with my back towards God. Going my own way. Doing what I wanted to do. And whenever I'd get in trouble, I'd turn around and I'd say, I believe. Help me. I take communion. I want it to be right. But as soon as the problem lifted, I'm off having fun. Something happened to me. It was August 15th, 1976. It was a time in my spiritual life where I was like at a T in a road and I'd stop my car at the stop sign, the car of my life. And I realized at that point that I didn't know Christ as my Savior. I was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I had to decide, am I going to turn my heart to Jesus or continue going my own way? And I remember as a 19-year-old boy, August 15th, it's in my mind, 1976. I prayed a very simple prayer like many of you can pray today. I asked Jesus to forgive my sins. And listen, I turned and said, Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. And he changed my life. And it's at that moment, as I understand the Bible, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you're here right now and you feel like I'm talking directly to you, I suggest to you that that's God himself, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through me, telling you he wants you to follow Christ. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, or perhaps you've committed before but just got away, and today you want to come back to Christ, we'd be honored to pray for you. If that's you today, let me know who you are so we can pray. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Would you just lift your hand, wave it at me today? Just real high. I want you to pray for me today. I want to put my trust in Christ. Give her a big hand. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. I want you yeah, up over here. God bless you. Somebody else. I, I want to put my trust in Christ. God bless you too, dear. Somebody else. Pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ. I, I want to become a follower of God. I'm not living for Jesus like I should. I see one more. Somebody's waving in the back there. Give them a big hand. They're pointing at somebody. All right, listen. Here's what we're going to do. Our prayer team is going to come to the front. They're here for anything. But whether you raised your hand or, or, or you didn't, but you should have, you want to pray and you want Christ to be a part of your life, we want to pray for you. I want you to just slip out of your chair and come to the cross and somebody will meet you there and pray for you for the greatest step of your life. You that lifted your hands, come on. We want to pray for you now. Come on, you that lifted your hands, come let us pray for you now. Just come and gather at the cross and people will be praying for you. Just come let us pray for you. Our prayer team is here to pray for the rest of you. You need prayer. Come let us do it now. We'd be honored to pray. Sing one last song. I love you and Lord willing, I'll see you next week.